My, my prayer today, whenever I speak uh, anywhere, because I speak in a different place just about every week. Last week I was speaking in um, somewhere else. I was speaking in, where was I speaking last week? <laughs> oh, I remember, in, in a place called Fuquay Varina, which is not that far from here. Some of you know that. I just think it's great there's a city in America called Fuquay Varina. It just doesn't sound, where are we all speaking today? Fuquay Varina. It just doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't sound... To me, anyway, it sounds like it should be in Italy or somewhere like that. But anyway, and before that, I was in um, Tennessee. Um, next week, I'm in Dallas, speaking in Dallas. And then the week after that, oh, I went dead for a moment there. And then after that, as, as uh, Mike said, I'll be in... This mic keeps dropping out, but I'll be in Cincinnati. Then I'll be in Virginia. And then actually Tennessee again, then I go home. So that's what's happening for me in the next few weeks. Everywhere I go whether it's this country or mine or Asia or Africa or whatever, my prayer always is, God, I don't really want people to hear from Dennis Peathers. I want them to hear from you. Because that's who we need to hear from. You know, I, I've got a passion, but it's not my passion I want you to hear. It's God's passion that I want you to feel today. So this is what, if you don't mind, before we get into the word, I'd like to ask you to do something. Just, just for a minute, I'd like to say for an hour or two hours, we haven't got that. Quietly pray that God will say to you, will speak to you today and that you won't hear my voice but you'll hear his voice. Just do that. Would you just sit quietly and just, just quietly pray uh, and then after a minute I'll just read the word and then we'll get into what I want to say today. Perhaps hear something which challenges me in a, in a in a new way, in a different way today. And help me to be willing, not just to hear what you say, but to do it for the sake of your name and the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Okay, what I want to speak about this morning is, uh, I, I really do believe, and this is, you, you'll, I, will, I will get passionate, but I think that's okay, isn't it? Because the feeling I've got is that you are people that are actually alive. I've got that feeling, you know. So sometimes, sometimes you go to speak in a church, I, this is one of the things about, which I love about traveling like I do, sometimes you go to a church in some parts of the world, and their joy is just so evident. You know, you walk in and like, pff, the whole place is just alive and, and you can feel it it's tangible and some places you go in England where I live for example Christians say we have joy but sometimes it's so deep <laughs> you have to dig it up to find it because it's people just don't know. but I sense this is my sense that this is a group of people in whom there is evident joy and passion is that true so you are actually alive yes and you are awake so when we get passionate that's okay 
You're okay to express that and feel it and let it come out and do something great. Okay. Because what I want to speak about today, I think, simply is, is the passion that God has that he wants us to get so we can join him in his mission. That's what I want to speak about today. And I'm going to start by reading a script and I'm going to tell you a little bit about my own story and I want to really get into this today. Acts chapter 10, if you have a Bible, perhaps open it to Acts chapter 10. You know, the ministry I lead is called The Rooftop and this, this passage I'm going to speak on is all about The Rooftop. It's actually where we get the name of the ministry from. Because this story in Acts chapter 10, I'm going to begin reading at verse 9. This story is about one of the most changing moments in the whole of the Bible. Before and after this, and then because of this, something happens which changes the whole picture completely. And I believe, you may or may not, I don't know, but I believe that we live at a time where we need to see a big shift. I go to Africa a lot. I love the way they say it there. They say a paradigm shift. Dennis, this is about a paradigm shift. They just say it better than we do in England. Paradigm shift. It's the way they say shift. They say shift. I love that. And I think what we're about is a paradigm shift. And this story is about a paradigm shift. Acts 10.9. And before, before verse 9, what's happened is a man called Cornelius has had a vision of God. And he wants to, he wants to know God. He wants to find out how he can really know God. And so straight after that, we get this, Acts 10.9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on a flat roof or a rooftop to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, or should I say trance, sorry. <laughs> I forgot to say it the correct way. He fell into a trance. <laughs> but in my language, which is the same language as yours, but we pronounce it trance so whichever one you prefer he saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners in the sheet were all sorts of animals reptiles and birds then a voice said to him get up Peter kill and eat them no Lord Peter declared I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. And please listen to this, this verse. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times and the sheep was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. And standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? And we'll get into the rest of the story a bit later on. But this is about a shift. This is about something which is about what was before is going to change for what comes next. That's what this whole story is all about. Before I get into it, what I'd like to do very briefly because of time is just tell you a little bit of my own story. 
Um, but you'll give a context what I'm going to talk about from this scripture a bit later on. So as I said, my name's Dennis. I come from London, or just the east side of London. I have a wife called Lynn, three kids. And I, I grew up, you may be surprised, because you know, Mike, Mike announced me as a travelling world evangelist, which sounds really grand, doesn't it? I'm actually just Dennis who loves Jesus, really. And I, because of that, I tell people, that's it, that's who I am. Nothing special, just an ordinary Christian like everybody else. But none of us is really ordinary, because we've got an extraordinary God. That's the thing, that's the power. And, and, and so that's what I do. I, I travel around the world. But the reason I do that is because I became a Christian. I never used to be one. And you might think, well, Dennis, you come from England, a very Christian country. Um, and you probably grew up in a really nice Christian family. And you love Jesus so much that you go tell people about him. That would, you could assume that, couldn't you? But that's not my story at all. In fact, um, I grew up in a family that we didn't have any church connection, didn't do church at all, nothing to do with it. And the thing is, you might find this hard, whenever I come to the US, certainly certain parts of it, there are so many church buildings everywhere that you guys might think, how can anybody not know about Jesus? Because they're everywhere, aren't they? I mean, I see them all over the place, just lot, big ones, small ones, medium-sized ones, and everything else. But when I grew up, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't even know that I didn't know Jesus. And if I tell you this, this might, might shock you, or it might surprise you, or it might, you might think, I knew that. But here's the tragedy, and this is a tragedy. And the tragedy is, in my country where I live in England, 100 years ago, 94% of people were in church. Now it's less than 4%. Now that's a tragedy. Here's the thing. It's not a tragedy because the church buildings are empty. It's a tragedy because heaven is empty. That's the tragedy, isn't it? Because the church isn't about filling up buildings, is it? The church is about filling up heaven. And that's the tragedy. The tragedy is, and it breaks my heart, and I believe it breaks God's heart too, the tragedy is there are so many millions of people in my country who don't know Jesus, and they don't even know they don't know Jesus. They just haven't, they don't know. No one's ever told them. How are they going to find out if we don't tell them? That's what the Word of God says, isn't it? And my story, I grew up in that world. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't even know I didn't know Jesus. I wasn't, inter- I wasn't even not interested. I can't say I wasn't interested. I didn't know there was anything to be interested in. When I was about 15, 16, I read some books on, on um, evolution and stuff like that. And I became pretty convinced, like many people in England are, that there isn't a God. That God is just for people who are a bit weak and not very intelligent. That's how people in England often think about it, because they think the educated people have now realised that God just, it's all a myth. That's what a lot of people think. I thought that. Then when I was 19 years of age, which as you can see, it's a couple of years ago now, <laughs> five or so, <laughs> quite a lot more than that. But when I got to 19, I was working in Lloyd's of London, the insurance centre of the world. And... Um, my boss came into work one day. His name is Dennis as well. In fact, I should tell you this because this is a really important part of my story. I've said this a million times, but it's really important. My name is Dennis, and my boss's name was Dennis Darling. So at work, they called him Dennis Darling and me, Darling Dennis. Dennis. This has got nothing to do with my story at all. I just thought you'd like to know that, really. Um, but he came into work one day, and he put a book down, and he said, you should read this book. And I looked at it, and the title of the book was Mere Christianity by a man called C.S. Lewis. And I thought, why? Why would I want to read that? I'm just not, I wasn't against it. I just wasn't into it. You understand what I'm saying? I didn't have any bad feeling at all. I just didn't think anything to do with me. I thought religion was just for religious people. And he put this book down and he said, you should read it, Mere Christianity. I'm thinking, why? Anyway, I read it for three reasons. One, he was my boss. 
which, you know, when bonus time comes around, it's good to do what your boss says. And the other I saw was by C.S. Lewis, and I'd read his children's books, The Chronicles of Narnia. Third reason, my train got delayed. And so I got it out of my case and started reading it one day, just so I could tell Dennis I'd read it. I had no interest. I wasn't looking for God. I did discover later he was looking for me. But I didn't know that. I had no idea about that when I started doing it. I just read it so I could keep him up. I used to, tu- I used to turn the front cover over so that no one could see the title because it had Christianity in it. And I thought, I don't want people to think I'm weird. So I used to turn the front cover over. I used to read it pushed up against my face as well so no one could see any of the words in it. And slowly two things happened as I read this book. One thing that happened was that I began to realise that even though I didn't believe in God, and I thought it takes so much faith to believe in God, I realised it takes a lot of faith to believe there isn't a God as well. Does that make sense? And I realised that this kind of evolutionary thing that people say is fact is just not that easy to really believe because there's so much stuff in it that just doesn't make any sense at all. And I realised actually it takes more faith to believe there isn't a God than to believe there is one. But they both take faith. And for a little while, I don't know if any of you have ever been in this position, you may even be in this position now. For a couple of months I was in this really difficult place where I no longer believed there was a God, but I no longer believed there wasn't one either. And I didn't know what to do with that, because I knew you can't believe there might be one. That's nonsense, isn't it? And let me just tell you, one of the reasons I'm telling you this story is, friends, if you're going to reach people now that are growing up in, in this city, you're going to find more and more people like me. We've got to learn how to help people like that understand. We can't just wait for people to come in the doors of the church anymore. Those days are going. People still do it. Praise God, they still do it. But there's lots that don't, and there'll be more and more and more that don't. We've got to go to them. And so as I, as I came to that place of thinking, okay, I do believe there, there's a God, I, I then began to wonder, how do you get to know God? And you know the answer to this. I didn't. I, I wasn't brought up in church. I'd never read the Bible. Didn't even know I hadn't read it. Didn't know there was a Bible to read. And what, what I, I kind of had this thought that the way to get to know God would probably require two things. One, that I had to be perfect and never do anything wrong. The other, that I had to become really, really, really boring. (laughs) Because I thought that religion is all about what you don't do. And if it's fun, you definitely don't do it. That's how I saw it. That's the perception I had. I didn't know anything about it. That's what I thought. Because the only few religious people that I knew were some of the most miserable people in the world. They always had long faces and they never smiled and they just, anything good was, was evil. That's how they saw it. That's how I, that's, that's my perception. And on our television in England, the way they present Christianity is uh, not the most exciting thing either. Then I read about Jesus. And when I read about Jesus, it completely changed everything. Because, oh man, Jesus is just great, isn't he? You know, I mean, really, if you, if you think about it. And what, what happened to me is I read about Jesus. I was, I was just so impressed by this Jesus who said he was God. And this Jesus who said he was God, he spent all of his time among people and he was bringing good news to people whose lives were completely messed up. And that was the thing. Can you just see that picture in your mind just for a second? That's what he did, isn't it? He was constantly going to people, and this is what I began to understand. He was going to people who were hopeless and helpless and broken and in a mess 
uh, crippled and every, you know, filled with demons. All the, just all these people completely messed up who thought they were worthless and useless and hopeless and helpless. People that probably couldn't even look at themselves in the mirror if they had a mirror and feel anything good about themselves. People who probably felt that God was against them and God was going to try and ruin them and destroy them. That's what they thought. And Jesus came to them and he said, I've got some good news for you. The kingdom of God is near, is what he said. I love that scripture. The kingdom of God is near. It's so close you can touch it. It's here. It's now. It's right here where we are. That's what he said. And as I read this about this Jesus, and then I saw what they did to him for this, all the, to say thank you for all that he said, what they did to him was just unthinkable. I remember when I was reading this book as this 19-year-old who didn't know any of this stuff, I kept thinking to myself, why did they, why did they do this to him? And how could God let this happen? Because you know what they did. They stripped him naked and they crucified him. And I kept thinking, as I read it and then flicked back and read it again, I thought, this is God? I'm sorry, my wife always says to me, when you get excited, don't get too high pitched. This is God. That's what I should have said at that point. This is God? Not this is God. This is God? And it kept overwhelming me, that thought that God would do this. Now you know it. I didn't know it. So perhaps he took me by surprise. But the God of the universe, the God who spoke and said, let there be light, that God who is God, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. This eternal God who makes a universe allows himself to be stripped naked and smashed to pieces on a cross. And I thought, this, can this, I thought, can this be God? And slowly I began to develop a a real respect and admiration for Jesus because I thought this Jesus believed in what he said enough to die for it. And I admired it. And slowly, I now, I now realise this was the work of the Holy Spirit, but I didn't know there was a Holy Spirit then. I had no idea. And I'll confess, sometimes I go to churches and I wonder if they think there even is a Holy Spirit, if I'm honest with you. No, I do. Because we've, we've made everything so cut and dried sometimes that we forget it's the power of God and God alone that can change this world. We can't do it. But I didn't know there was a Holy Spirit back then. But as I look back now, I can see his work. Because what I slowly began to realise was this. That Jesus died for what he believed in. And what he believed in was me. Not just me, you too. What I mean by that is this. Even though I thought I was not that good really and didn't know how to know God, Jesus did it all. Everything. All of it. Every bit. I didn't have to become a good person or a boring person because Jesus did it all. And it was all Jesus. And as I sat on that train, I, I, I remember thinking to myself, this is too good to be true, but it is true. And so I thought, what do I do about it? Now, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know uh, what you spoke. I didn't know what a prayer you had to pray. I'd never prayed. So I didn't know you have to pray a little prayer with the word amen at the end to let God know you've finished. <laughs> I didn't know any of that stuff. So I just sat on that train and I said, this is what I said to God. I said, God... Here's my life. Do what you want with it. The train was packed, full of people. All our trains in London are packed solid. God, here's my life. Do what you want with it. And as I said those words to God all those years ago now, because as you really do know, when I was 19, it was quite a long time ago. When I said those words to God when I was 19 years of age, simply sitting on a packed train, I felt different. This is the feeling. It was like, it was like being washed on the inside. And, that, and it's like flowing through. And I, I, didn't even, I didn't even know I was dirty. <laughs> but I was being washed on the inside. And in that moment, friends, and, I, and this is probably where my passion comes from all these years later, in that moment, I wanted the whole world to know this Jesus. 
I'm going to say that again and get more response from you because you said you're awake and you didn't prove it then. I wanted the whole world to know this Jesus. Yeah. Because here's the thing. What I discovered on that train on that day and when my heart was changed was this, that the word good news that we use, that expression good news, it's not good enough. It should be the great news. It should be the really great news, the fantastic news. It should be the best news the world will ever hear because that's how good this good news is. And the, re- the reason it's good, the reason it is so good is because God takes the initiative to do the impossible in the lives of people that need him so much. They don't need to do it. God does it. That's why it's such good news. You know, and, and, and there's, a, there's a scripture which I've loved for a long, long time in Ephesians. Um, and in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 4, it just says this. I love this scripture because it, to me it just gets to the heart of it. But God who is rich in mercy... I love that. Don't you just love that expression, rich in mercy? Rich. It's like, I think it's almost extravagant. And what it means is, and please listen to this, what it means is God being rich in mercy means this, that he doesn't wait for us to get sorted out before his mercy is there for us. God doesn't only forgive the people that deserve it. He's not only there for the ones who say, okay, God, I'm all together now, so can I come into your house? God doesn't say, okay, I'll let you in now because you're okay. What he says is, my mercy is so great that it actually comes to you even when you're completely messed up. Even when you're living a life which is nothing like the kind of life I want you to live, my mercy is still there. It's rich. And not only is my mercy rich, it carries on and it says, because of his great love, because of his great love, not just his love, but his great love. He's rich mercy. Do you see the picture? And that's what I began to realise. And as I saw it and read it and thought it through and now experienced God, it was like, this gospel is so good. It's great. It's really great. It's fantastic. The whole world needs to know this. Then I went to church. Well, I thought you have to, you know, because being a Christian, being church seems to belong somehow. I didn't know much, but I knew that much. And going to church for me was really interesting. You talk about paradigm shift. This is kind of what I realized, began, I guess I began to realize needed to happen because what I realized, and I'm going to be quick, but, and I'm not going to be unkind because they were lovely people, but they just did the same things every week. They went through these little rituals they did of a hymn. And a, well, they did a call to worship, then a hymn, then a prayer, then a hymn, then an offering, then a hymn, then a sermon, then a hymn, then home. Every week. It started at 10, finished, sorry, it started at 11, finished at 12. And if it went beyond 12... People started tapping their watches. That you know, an hour a week is enough. And I stole a Bible from the church. Well, I took it without permission. And I read it. And as I read it, I realised that this Jesus I'd met was even more amazing than I thought. I used to read the New Testament over and over and over and over again, and I saw in even more graphic detail this God-man who came to the world broken to repair it and went among it and he spoke to lepers and he spoke to prostitutes and he spoke to sinners and he said to them there is good news for you and then I used to go to this church and they used to have their little service every week and I thought, my question was how did what Jesus did ever turn into what we're doing here what happened he was always out there and we're always in here And he was telling people as they were, 
in their brokenness, in their lostness, and in their sin, and their shame, and their guilt. He was saying to them, right now, I'm telling you there's good news. So often the church waits them to come in and clean up, and then we say there's good news. But we're not going to reach them that way. We've got to reach them where they are. And so I began, I guess what happened to me all those years ago was that I began to get this passion that the church needs to wake up. Friends, we need an awakening. We need God to so shake us and so waken us up that we will actually see the world as he sees it with the passion he's got for it. And that's what I began to see then. And you know, when I, when I hadn't long been a Christian, I remember in that church, because I, did, I, did, uh, I got baptised in that church, um, and then I used to say to a lot of the people in that church, over and over again I'd say, I just want to tell people about Jesus. Do you know what they used to say to me? And they meant it sincerely. In a, they were trying to be helpful. I'd say, I want to tell people about Jesus. And they would say to me, oh Dennis, that's nice. Most people start their Christian faith like that. But it wears off. Like I had the flu. You don't worry. Just keep taking the pill every Sunday and it will go. No, it's funny, but it's not funny, is it? Because the church gathered should be the most vibrant, faith-filled community imaginable, so in love with the people that are outside that when we gather, we gather to think, to pray, to plan, to do all that we can to think, how can we reach those people? But the challenge is we sometimes get so distracted, we just focus on what we do in here and we forget out there. And we make this what it's all about. And of course, it's great to be together. I'm not knocking that. What I'm saying is this isn't it. This is part of it. But there's a bigger it we need to face as well. And that is what we do when we're out there where the people are. And see, that's what happened with Peter on this rooftop. See, for Peter before that, he was a Jew. And this is how he thought. He thought that the gospel was only for people like him. The ones on the inside the ones that fitted in with what he would call the Jewish faith. Can I call it church? Do you understand where I'm going with this? That we kind of create this thing and we say, well, come, you know, come here and join us and then you can, you can hear about Jesus, you get saved. That, that's what we so often do. And for Peter, there were so many traditions and customs and habits that the Jews had. They expected people to conform to all those first and then they could know Jesus. We do the same. We, so much that we do is, is, is our customs, it's our traditions, it's our ways of doing things. They're not bad, they're not wrong, but what happens is rather than being a bridge to people, they become a barrier. They become a wall. And what happens is we, begin, we can so easily begin to look at the people outside and think, just like the Jews felt about the Gentiles, we can think, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm going to stay away from them because you know, the church, that's where the good people go. But there ain't any good people. We're all sinners. Every one of us. We're just saved. We're not good. Not good. Sorry. <laughs> and the thing is, what, this is, see, Peter went to that roof and what, this is the thing that struck me. This is how the rooftop ministry began a number of years ago. And actually, Mike, Mike and I, we, we knew each other when it began and Lifeway, who Mike worked with, they helped me start this whole thing. It's an amazing story, really. But what struck me, I read this story in Acts chapter 10 a number of years ago and what I realised was this, and please listen to this and let it just permeate your soul for a moment. What I realised was this. When the gospel began to spread at the very beginning, see in Acts chapter 1, then 2, then 3, then 4, then 5, then 6, then 7, then 8, then 9. They're the ones that come before 10. I just thought you'd like to know that I'm an educated mathematician as well as a preacher. Um, 
in those first nine chapters, the gospel is only preached to people that understand the Jewish faith. So they're all, they're all, they're all in, if I can put it this way, they're all inside. Then when you get to Acts chapter 10, God wants the church to break out of that and go outside. And this is what struck me. And this is what happens on the rooftop. Peter goes to the rooftop to pray. Before that, there's Cornelius. Cornelius is not a Christian. But he has no problem believing that God loves him. He just doesn't know how to find out what it is. Yeah? Peter, the follower of Jesus, needs a bigger transformation than Cornelius does. Because Peter doesn't believe that God loves people like Cornelius. Because they're Gentiles. You see what I'm saying? They're outside. His focus is, we've got to get people in here like us then. But no, God says, let's, let's break out of that. Let's do something different. So Peter goes to the rooftop to pray. And on the rooftop, God shows him this vision with all these animals. And, and God says, kill and eat. And Peter says, no. No. Because that makes me unclean. That makes me unclean. I don't do that. I don't touch that. I don't do that. And then God says it three times and three times Peter says no. And then God says to Peter, don't call unclean what I've made clean. In other words, those outside, don't see them as ones you can't go near. You've got to go to them. They need this message. They've got to hear it. Don't stay away from them. Don't come and hide in here, but go there where they are. That's it. And Peter doesn't get that. And then he gets a visit from these people, Cornelius' friends. He goes to their house. He walks in and says, I should not be here. Effectively, because you're dirty and I'm clean. So I wasn't picking on you, sir. My finger just happened to go in your direction. You're dirty and I'm clean. And then he speaks the gospel. And you know what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles. And that's not supposed to happen. But it does. Because God's mercy is rich. And God's love is is great and he longs for these people he wants to fill these people with his Holy Spirit he wants to reach the unreached the outside people he wants to do it that's his passion you know that don't you and Peter sees this happen he sees the Holy Spirit fall on these Gentiles there are some followers of Jesus with Peter that come to Cornelius' house when they see the Holy Spirit fall they don't say praise God they say them Do you see this paradigm shift we're talking about? Could I tell you, friends, and I wish I didn't have to say this to you, but I tell you, I've seen churches all over the world that only rejoice when a certain kind of people become Christians. And it's people like us. But they don't always approve of other people becoming Christians because they're not the kind of people we want in our churches. If I, if I could tell you every time I've heard a church say to me, that's not the kind of people we want. It's heartbreaking. But it, it's, it's real because they forget what God said. Don't call unclean what I've made clean. And we can all do it, can't we? Easily. We look at people with different lifestyles and things they're doing and we don't approve of them because they're wrong. But that's, if we stop there, we're missing the whole point. Because the point is this, that we must not look at these people with judgment and condemnation, but we have to look at them and say, what does Jesus say when he looks at these people? Peter went back to the church at Jerusalem. You know in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, you know that story? In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. The first church was formed in Jerusalem. Peter went back there. 
And he said to them, I was on a rooftop. I had a vision. And God spoke to me. And I went to a house of Cornelius and I preached the gospel. And the Holy Spirit fell. And you know what they said? They didn't say hallelujah either. They didn't say praise God either. This is the first church filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing Jesus. They didn't say praise God. Do you know what they said? You can read it in the Word if you want. They said, you should not go to a Gentile's house. See, they were so locked in to everything being in here. They forgot that God's passion is out there. Let me ask you a question as I begin to get towards the end of this message. I want to, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond today as well, by the way. Everybody, not just a few, but everybody. But Do you believe that Jesus is on mission out there, outside? Or is he just in here? What do you think? Yeah, I'll tell you what I think. I passionately believe, and Peter had to learn this as a Christian. Perhaps many of us have to learn this too, that Jesus is on mission like he always was, where the people are. Out there, in schools, colleges, businesses, factories, I don't know, anywhere. I've driven up with Mike, we've driven up and down the, through the city a few times, I've seen it, and every, every shop I look at, every, I was at Gold's Gym the other day. He's at work in Gold's Gym. I was talking to a guy there. God's at work. Do you believe that? Do you believe God works at, do you believe God is at work in Gold's Gym in Burlington, North Carolina? Yeah? We've been to Panera Bread a couple of times. Because Mike, I love Panera Bread, and I'm trying to get Mike to see the wisdom of going to Panera Bread, but he doesn't like it. He comes just to, just to keep me happy. He came two days in a row, and I think he's made a note in his calendar now not to go for two years to make up for those two days in a row that he's been. But um, Do you believe God's at work in Panera Bread? What about Walgreens? I could go on. Outback Steakhouse. He has to be at work there because I love it so much. <laughs> but, you know, seriously, I'm being jokey, but I want to be serious. Well, this, this is what I think, this is the paradigm shift I think many of us just need to think about. We so often locate God in a place and we come to worship him here, which we should. But we also need to worship him there. And the way we worship him there isn't singing a song to him, but it's actually making him known to the people that he desperately wants to know him. Do you see what I'm saying? Let me tell you a quick story, and I'm, I'm going to wrap up. But I, a few years ago, a number of years ago now, I was in um, Africa. I go to Africa a lot, and uh, I was in South Africa, in a in a in a city called East London. Now I come from East London, but it's very different. East London, England, is very different from East London, South Africa. And I, I was speaking at a church there. It's a big church, a lot of people in it. Um, it was kind of probably about the same size as this, but it was much wider and not so deep. Um, so it kind of either side it went way way either side and I was the only person in the whole building with white skin um, and when, when, I, when, I, when I speak in African churches what I often find is when they have their worship time they're just so much better at worshipping than I am I don't mean worshipping I mean whatever you do do you know what I'm saying so they, when they sing everyone just kind of they just sway and they move with such rhythm and, and I'm sort of standing there like, it's, I don't know, like I've only got one leg. I just don't do it. I just can't do it. I just don't do it like they do it. I just feel conspicuous and so I stand there smiling. I have a sort of worshipy look on my face rather than moving like they do. And so I was at this and they, they were doing, they were, and when they, literally when they were worshipping in this building, 
and they were all jumping up and down together. This whole place was shaking because they were up on like they were up on raised areas, and the whole place you could feel it shake. I thought it was going to fall down, but it didn't. I was pleased to. And then um, after that time, I got up to speak, and as, and the, the guy leading the worship, he was he was a some TV personality, so it was a big, big, big deal with this church, I guess, in some ways, and then one of the pastors introduced me, and, I got, and as I got up to speak, I just felt prompted by the Spirit just to say something, which was really on my heart at that time, because I was going to preach on, like I always preach on, we've got to be out there, and as I, as I got up, this is what I said to the people, I said, it's really been great to worship with you today in this building, and I really sense the presence of God has been, you can, you know, you can, you can, God is here, he's with us, he is. And then I said this, and they were a bit surprised. I said, but I don't think this is the most plainly, evidently, that I've seen Jesus since I've been in Africa. And they kind of gave me this shocked look. And I said, well, let me tell you why. Just um, a little while ago, I was in Uganda, city of Kampala. And I was in a, in a house, in a room, with a group of people, five of whom were prostitutes, who had come to faith in Jesus. And as we sat in this room, each of these five ladies, and you can see them in your mind with their kind of dress sort of pulled down over their, over their arm because it didn't fit and marks, and marks on their faces and teeth broken and just, you, you know, you know. And these ladies were sitting in this large circle and each of them was sharing their story of how this, how this Jesus had changed them. How this Jesus had given them the hope that he comes to bring. How this Jesus had actually filled them with God. And they, they were sharing these stories with me. And, and I was listening. And some were speaking in Luganda, which is what Uganda's people speak. But then it was translated into English. Some were speaking in Swahili. And some were speaking in English. And some were speaking in, I have no idea what it was. Because often in Africa, they give you a bit of English and a bit of their own language and put the two together. And you don't know what it is. But I heard them speak. But I, it wasn't so much hearing them speak. It was more just looking into their faces. And as I looked into their faces, which were, many of them were marked and scarred and bruised, and, but that, as I looked into their faces, I'm absolutely convinced I could see the face of Jesus. You know what I mean. I don't mean physically, I don't, but just something about the way that... Is it the light that shines? I don't know. I don't know what it is. But I do know this. Whatever it is, it's Jesus. And this is what I said to that large gathering of Christians in that church. I wasn't knocking them. I wasn't saying that gathering for worship is a bad thing because, of course, it isn't a bad thing. But this is what I said to them. If you want to find Jesus and join his mission... You don't need to just do it here because he's out there. And in Burlington, North Carolina, and all the, I don't know all the cities and towns around here, I'm sorry. I go too many places to learn where I, Sometimes I even forget where I am. And sometimes I forget where I've been and where I'm going. Sometimes I sit on a plane and think, where is this thing going? Where am I going to land? I don't care, though. Wherever it is, it doesn't matter wherever it is, whether it's Dallas where I'm going next, whether it's here, whatever. Where it's London, where I live, it doesn't matter wherever it is. Here's the thing that I think the Lord wants to do in these days. The paradigm shift he wants us to get a hold of and do something about is this. That he is on mission in the cities and towns and villages where all of us live. And he wants us to go and join him there. Thank you.
See, there's, John Wiley, he's not here. He was at the first service. He's not here with us now. He had to go on to the airport. But um, he, he and I have a friend. His name is John Avant. He, he leads a ministry in the US. And it, that ministry is connecting with the rooftop. We're going to partner together. But the reason is this. This John Avant said this to us a while ago. He said, in America, it's very easy to get people to say yes to Jesus. But it's almost impossible to get them to say yes to joining Jesus in his mission. It's like we, I'll I'll have Jesus, but I don't want to do what Jesus is really calling me to do. But friends, can I almost want to kneel down, but I won't get up again, so I won't, and plead with you and say, friends, this Jesus that you love, this Jesus that has done so much for you, this Jesus that literally for you and for me was broken to pieces and smashed and nailed to a cross, this Jesus who has forgiven us and saved us, This Jesus wants us not just to say, yes, come into my life, but say, yes, I'll join you in the mission to ensure that the world hears about this truth. Because this gospel is not just good. It's great. Awesome. I love that word. Awesome. I remember when I was at at Theological Seminary, we had a guy, he was from Nigeria, and he he preached a whole sermon on the word awesome. But he was Nigerian, so he didn't say awesome. He said, awesome. (laughs) And that's what he kept saying. This good news is awesome. And he probably said, awesome, probably lower than my voice. but, But it is awesome, isn't it? And friends, this is what I'd like to ask us to do as we close this morning. I'd like to ask every one of you to make a decision this morning. You're Christians already, many of you. Some of you aren't, so I ask you to make a decision to become a follower of Jesus if you're not. But for the vast majority, even you way up the back there and those all here, I'd like to ask you to make a decision this morning that says, having said yes to Jesus, I'm going to say yes to joining him in his mission. And this is what I'd like us to do as we close. Could I ask you please to stand? And I'd like to um, lead us in a short prayer. Just a very, and I'm going to pray as if I'm you talking to God. And then at the end of the prayer, something I'd like to ask you to do as we, as we finish this morning. But um, just, just, just take a moment to, to be quiet, like we did at the beginning of the talk. Let's do it again at the end. And I pray that God is, I pray that you haven't just heard me this morning. I pray that you've heard God speak through my words the Holy Spirit of God. And just ask him briefly, Lord, what, what are you saying to me? And then just take a moment to ask God to to break your heart with what breaks his heart for people that are lost. To help you to see what he sees when he looks at this world. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to seek and to save what was lost. 
thank you for your your great love for your rich mercy for your willingness literally to be killed so that we could live I know that the world needs to hear this message so as I stand here today I say to you yes Jesus break my heart change my attitude do in me whatever it is that needs to be done so that I can join you in your mission and share awesome news with people who must, must, must hear it in the name of Jesus Amen